This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Kevin, you ready? I'm ready. All right, guys. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader. And before we get into it with my friend, my friend, Kev Slattery, let's just talk about a little bit of business, okay? The Full Blast Podcast is sponsored by Broadbeck Ironworks. Broadbeck Ironworks is a great company that makes 2x72 grinders uh, at broadbeckironworks.com. They are making beautiful 2x72 grinders. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, I don't make knives. What do I need of a... a, a, of two by seventy two grinder. Well, you don't. It's not just for knife makers. There are sculptors and woodworkers and and all sorts of people. You know, benefiting by using a two by seventy two grinder, which two by seventy two means the belt is two inches wide and seventy two inches long if you cut it in half. So it's a great. It's a you get a lot of grit on the belt and it's great for knife making, great for sculpture, great for woodworking. And we're going to have the Broadbeck Ironworks on guys on very soon. If you go to broadbeckironworks.com, you can check out all their packages. They have all sorts of packages in the packet. When you say to me, "What's the package?" Well, they sell a lot of grinder attachments like contact wheels and integral bolster attachments and surface grinders and all these different attachments that work great with not only the Broadbeck chassis, but if you have another grinder that you might want to use, Chances are you can probably use their attachments too. So if you go to broadbackironworks.com and you use the 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 promo code Knife Talk 200, you're going to get $200 off any of the grinder packages, the Max, the Premium, and the Mega. And if you use Knife Talk 100, you'll get a $100 discount off their sharpening system, their surface grinder, and their leather sewing machine. So go check out what they're doing because they're doing a lot more than just making grinders. Uh, their sharpening system's really tight. And uh, look, if you're making leather and you don't want to use those big old thumbs in a 16th inch drill bit, go get yourself one of them leather sewing machines. Once again, thanks again to Broadback Ironworks, and we will see you soon. Next is Axe Wax. Axe Wax, all natural food safe wax for your axe, for your wood, for your steel, carbon, Damascus, whatever you got. If you go to axwax.us, put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you will get 10% off your order, and you can get a couple pucks, and it's worth it. Give it a try. If you're in the U.K., go to UKKnifeSupplies.com. They're accepting Full Blast 10. If you're in the EU, uh, KnifeMaterial.at is accepting Full Blast 10 for Axwax. If you're in Australia, you got two places to go, NordicEdge.com.au. They're taking Full Blast 10. And Gamaco, the guys over at Gamaco, ArtisanSupplies.com.au. They're taking Full Blast 10 for Axe Wax. So get yourself some of that Axe Wax. Stop playing around. Next is Total Boat. TotalBoat.com. They make adhesives, paints, primers, polishing compounds. I just used their uh, UV Cure Clear Resin on some uh, filling a little gap and a little thing. It's unbelievable stuff. You you put it in and you hit it with the UV light. Bingo, bango, bongo. It just hardens up. They're, they're a company that used to, that makes uh, products for boaters and DIYers. You know, stuff that makes sure that their boats don't sink. And they realize that DIYers and, and makers can benefit from using uh, Total Boat products too. So they're embracing they were at an awesome time at maker camp they were getting involved with pouring epoxy two-part epoxies handle scales i use their uh, two-part epoxy for handle scales which is great um i know guys are making hybrid handles using uh using uh, the total boat products it's great stuff their thick set casting epoxies dynamite and all their products are good uh keith decent Derek from malden keith johnson keith mitchell every keith you got 
they're all using Total Boat. Jimmy Dress using Total Boat too. He just made a weird pour of like he had this mummified groundhog that he that he uh, that he <laughs> he covered in Total Boat, and he got a he got a basically the ice block of a mummified. Go for it. He used Total Boat. So if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And if you go to TotalBoat.com, put in the promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off all of your order for Total Boat. So once again, Total Boat, thank you. Look, we all know that when you're making knives, sometimes you got to stick it somewhere in order to get it finished. Why don't you stick it in the Trojan Horse Forge Stable Rail Knife Finishing Vice? And you can say to yourself, well, I have for my handles, I use 2x4s. Well, this is something different. The stable, the THF stable rail knife finishing vise made in the heart of Texas. They're designed for handle finishing and for hand sanding. So it's it's it fits in your vise and then it clamps. It has rubber and it clamps your your blade. And then you can you have a, there's a there's a clasp. But then you can spin it 360 degrees. And then if you're doing your hand sanding, you put these you put these rubber pl- these plates on with these rubber pads. You flip it around. It's and it holds your blade. It holds your blade for hand sanding and it holds it perfectly. You can use if you have an integral bolster. If you have a uh, kukri or curved blade. If you're using a a a, a, um, a file guide. If you want to make sure the file guide's on there and make them plunge lines crispy, you can do that. It's there's a little bit of movement and you got it all you're all squared away so if you go to trojanhorseforge.com and you put in the promo code full blast you will get free shipping in the united states they also offer payment plans too the payment plans are great if you don't want to lump it all out and uh, i'm telling you i have two of the of the trojan horse forge stable rail knife finishing vices and i love them they're they're the best and they come in a bomb bomb proof kit they have uh, lots of extra attachments. They they send lots of extra rubber. They send lots of bolts and stuff. I mean, it's like legitimately over-engineered for the most part. But it is once you have it, you're going to say to yourself, I don't know why you fool around with these 2x4s. I'm going to throw them in the fireplace. So go get yourself some of that Trojan Horse Forge. Stable rail knife finishing vice. The guys over at Trojan Horse Forge are great. Thanks, guys. Last but not least, Maritime Knife Supplies. Maritime Knife Supply is a... Canadian distributor of combat abrasives. They may sell belts, abrasive steels, kilns, forges, presses, heat treating ovens, anvils, everything you need to get started or resupply, including axe wax. They also have Dr. Laren Thomas's book, Knife Engineering. If you're looking, yeah, I know a lot of guys, knife makers are telling me that they need, they don't have a uh, Rockwell tester. They ha- he has, he has Matt Parkinson's uh, uh, Rockwell chisels, which are amazing. He is basically getting all the stuff that you that he thinks that you need because he's a knife maker. He just got back from uh, the New England School of Metalwork, where he just established a scholarship, a two-week scholarship for people 16 to 30, including funds for travel and accommodations. The link to the application for the scholarship is in his bio. If you go to Maritime Knife Supply on Instagram, go follow him and see what he's up to. He's doing a lot for the community. He's selling a lot of great stuff, and he's making, uh, he's selling stuff to Americans. He's, he's, he's like, you know what? I, I'll be as fast as everybody else, and you, uh, you can order from him, and you will get all your products from him as fast as you would anywhere else. So if, even if you want the, the TR Maker equipment, all that TR Maker stuff, the bevel jigs and the file guides and all that stuff, he got it all. And if you're in Canada and you're saying to yourself, I wish Lawrence Lake had this, go send him a message. He'll pick it right up. He's fast. He just gave me a piece of the Hex 1080 uh, Hex material, which is awesome for uh, integrals. If you want to have that Hex 
uh, bolster. It's already established. Uh, he's great in the knife-making community, and he's giving back. So go support Maritime Knife Supply. And I appreciate you, Lawrence, and uh, thank you for all your support. He supports a lot of podcasts, and he's a good dude. I had to spend a little time with him, and it was great catching up with you. So MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. Okay? Okay? My next guest, we were talking before the show started, Kev Slattery might be the first friend I've had from Australia Back in the day, when I first barely started knife making, he came across my, my, we became friends, like, I'm talking probably eight years ago. Kev Slattery's here, knife maker extraordinaire, host of the hopefully coming back knife making down under. Kev, how the fuck are you? Hey, mate, I'm really good. (laughs) What an introduction. (laughs) I mean, I'm telling you, you're my guy. I've just been sitting here for you know, seven minutes dreaming about being back in the U.S. after all the ads and all the awesome equipment and supplies that you guys have over there, uh, or one of the one of the things that I dream about being back there for anyway. Um, mate, I am I'm pretty good, all things considered. I, I'm I'm not living the dream, but I'm probably close to it. You got to be close to it when you're sort of a full time knife maker. But is living the isn't would if you were living the dream would you t- ultimately be satisfied? You kind of like you need the dream ahead of you. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's look, the journey. You do, mate. You actually, honestly, you do. You need to have that little bit of the X factor stuck out in front of you as that as that driving force to get to. If you had, like I said, if you had everything that you ever desired in front of you, mate, you'd be pretty stale within a short period of time. I'd say. A hundred percent. Now back to it. I remember I was in my, it was in, I guess I'm talking, I really feel like it was like eight years ago. I it was, just, it was close to that. Yes. Something like that. Cause it was in the beginning of, I was still making sculpture. I was in the shop, not too far from where I am now. We were doing railings. It was teaching blacksmithing classes. And I just started to make knives with Matt Paul. And I was making a lot of lures, I was making sculpture. And all of a sudden this Canadian, this um, Australian guy, Kev, Kev's Forge starts following me. Big strapping guy, incredible knife maker, and we just became very friendly right out of the shoot, and you got to watch me make knives, which is, I don't have, I don't think I have a lot of knife making friends that I've been that, you know, who've seen it from the beginning. Yeah, like, you're making me feel old now. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just as old as you are. <laughs> well, right? I know. I was, yeah, I was just thinking about that scholarship, and I thought, damn, I'm only 19 years too late. Um, to get that, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, you look, you got to get it in somewhere, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we're, you're you're 49. I'm going to be I'm 49. 49. In, yeah. I'm going to be 49 in a month. Wow, in a month, a yeah. month and change. So we're yeah. right, we're right there at the same cusp. We're at 1973. We're at the right there. The best year of ever. Best year ever. <laughs> well, for the for music at least. Well, for music for, at least. for everything. Yeah, no, it's All a great right, year. There you go. There you go. So, Kev, how did you start getting into knife making? Because, I mean, what's interesting is, is like, I'm very friend. One of the things about Kev, about you, Kev, I'm not talk about you like you're not here. Yeah. You guys, you and, and Corin and Mert started the Knife Making Down Under podcast, which I loved. And I'm hoping you guys are going to get back to it because it was really great. But you have such an amazing, there's an incredible community in Australia of knife makers. And I'm wondering how you got your start in knife making. Well, for me, I used to be into modifying cars, would you believe? Um, mostly Subarus. I had the, you know, the 
four-banger turbo addiction. Um, some very good friends in that field were mechanics and stuff, which made it easy to be um, into modifying cars because I always had the person there to fix my mistakes. Right. Um, but I became pretty predictable with the family with um, regards to birthday presents, Christmas presents and all that sort of stuff. And um, I think it was one time my wife had said to me, uh, what car part do you want for your birthday? And <laughs> it sort of dawned on me that I was, um, you know, wow, is that is that what I'm at now? Um, just a car part. Uh, but I'd seen an advertisement for a local knife making place that did weekend classes and it, it, it sort of just sparked something in me to to go and have a go at that. So I, I convinced them that I didn't need a car part that year and either to pay for my um, ticket for the for the course or, you know, contribute to it. Um, so I did that and I enrolled and got really excited because the weekend was coming up that I enrolled into. Then I got an email from, from the guy saying, unfortunately, the other three participants in the course had pulled out um, and they'd have to change the date. So I... I, I was a little bit upset about that, but yeah. not much you could do. And that sparked, I guess, the interest a little bit more. So rather than it just being a uh, off-the-cuff thing, I started to actually look at knife-making and um, what was out there and started drawing down, you know, as you do when you're employed to be working somewhere else. I started drawing knife <laughs> knife pictures yeah. whilst, whilst I was at work. Um and at the time came around where the weekend course was on, um, and look, it just it just sort of connected with me, mate. It was like that next level from bolting on a, a you know new turbo or a manifold or whatever was going on with the car at the time. Um, it was something that I was creating from the word go, and um, I'd already sort of had a bit of a background myself when you're talking about sculpture and stuff. I'd sort of played around with that. I'd done my major back at my. Um, college for you guys, your, your high school days was art. Yeah. Um, so I'd done various forms of art and sculpture and all that sort of stuff. And the knife making just really connected with me for the ability to produce something from, you know, we're using bars of steel to start with, but cutting out a bar of steel that was, you know, similar to the drawing that I'd done, forging that to a close shape and then, you know, all the steps involved in between, and at the end of that weekend, I came out with uh, two really fantastic looking. Well, I thought they were the best things that you could ever get. Um, when, in hindsight, when I look back at them, I do have a bit of a laugh now at um, how things have changed. But the course that I did back at that stage was very organic as well, so um, it wasn't. Um, I guess it wasn't as structured as what we see most courses are these days. So that was that was my introduction, and it just connected so much that um, I got along really well with the guy that was running the courses, and his name's Karim, um, and he works out of Thawa Valley Forge, uh, just south of where I am, and they they run a lot of classes down there, a whole range of different things. So um, it's expanded to be, you know, a, a fairly large enterprise, and yeah, I connected with Karim pretty well, and um, sort of asked started asking him about what equipment do I need and this, that and the other as everyone does and I was fortunate enough to be lent some stuff and came home and set up a little space and just went at it with, you know, a head full of information and no real idea or direction and um, out of that started asking more questions and spent more time with Karim and, you know, evolution occurred and um, before too long 
um, you know, I was making nicer knives and uh, started helping him teaching classes. And that moved on to the point where one day he said, hey, how would you like to run a class yourself? And then we can get more people through because I have, uh, you know, bookings out six months in advance. Um, and that was a pretty scary thing. But um, yeah. I'd, had a, I'd had a background in my previous life. I was um, a systems administrator on, on a finance and human resource system, which our government uses here. Um, and I'd also taken on the, the training role or the trainer role. So I was used to teaching people, but when, when I used to teach people the systems-based stuff, I would literally have people falling asleep at, at the yeah. desks because, you know, it, it's not particularly exciting to put in an account or create... You know, data, put data entry into a basically a system, which, uh, especially when they book courses for me for after lunch and people had a full belly and right. they, just, they wanted to go home. So teaching knife making was a, a pretty amazing thing to to take on board there. So um, yeah, I started out. I was a bit hesitant, but I started out and just found that you know it threw an extra level for me because um, people. Co- people would come in just as I came into that course and they'd be sort of staring at the ground and shuffling their feet. And, oh, I'm no good at doing this stuff. I'm not really good with my hands. And you'd just guide them through that process and give them a little bit of help where it was needed and just encouragement was the main thing. Um, and then at the end of the two days, their shoulders would be back and their head would be up and they'd be, you know, full of smiles over something that they've created uh, with, you know, a, a, just a little bit of help and encouragement, which is the way I put it. I think what's the most amazing, there's a couple things that I just wanted to touch upon, uh, but what you're saying, t- the teaching thing, teaching knife making, teaching bladesmithing or blacksmithing, it's different than teaching, like, theory. It's different than teaching, uh, well, I would imagine it's different than teaching data entry, I would imagine, Ooh, yeah. because you kind of have to get the student over the finish line. And there is this expectation that the information that you're going to give them and the technique that you're going to show them is going to translate into them doing what you're doing. So, like, the proof is in the pudding. Like, if you're a good teacher and they're coughing up what you're coughing up to a certain degree, obviously, you know, when somebody does it for the first time, they're never, it's never going to be as good as, you know, the teacher. But the, there's something about teaching these classes where you're making something specific and then your student is listening and then they're making the same thing it's very very rewarding it must have been very very rewarding for you oh absolutely so the biggest change occurred um when i decided that i wanted to bring the teaching back a sort of back to a a different level i guess um and do it from home myself um i wanted to wanted to bring it back to a smaller group so when I run my classes at home, uh, it's one or two people maximum, generally. So I've had classes of three, and they're, they're quite fun when, you know, you've got generally three burly blokes and myself in a room uh, and all trying to get around without, you know, causing injury or whatever. Right. <laughs> uh, but I brought it back home to, to make it, in my view, just to bring it back to a next level of that personal experience as well. And that's, that's where I thought I really flourished was... You know, I was in my safe space. I'm at home. Uh, I'm doing this for me, so I could be a hundred percent me. Um, you know, tell tell my dad jokes, which, as you know from past experience, are pretty pathetic. But um, well, that's fine. Yeah, and and just teaching a little bit of a different style as well. And what I found, um, 
was with the one or two people, the time seemed to slow a little bit from what I was used to, which was, you know, you have four people in a class and you're constantly running around checking this person, this person, this person, this person. Not saying they don't get um, time with the instructor, but when you come back and start teaching one or two people and you're used to um, having, you know, four or more, um, time seems to slow and you end up with a heck of a lot more time per person. And that's where I think, for me anyway, um, being able to slow the process down and actually give people a little bit more time and say, look, okay, we should be stopping about this time, but hey, I always add a little bit of cream on top so we've got half an hour more and you know, can push their boundaries a little bit. I've particularly found that good when I used to get um, uh, return students that had started doing the knife making themselves. So they came in and they were, you know, oh, Kev, I've done this course with you or with someone else and I want to learn a bit more. And so I'd actually have that time to do that rather than say, oh, look, I'm sorry, we're hard-pressed. We've got, you know, all these other guys here. Um, and and also opened my home to them a little bit, which was the other thing. So my wife would normally be around on the weekends. Um, at that stage, she was working full-time. She's since retired, lucky her. Uh, but on the weekends, I'd, I'd also provide meals for the people. So, you know, the good old Aussie barbecue, we'd throw on some, some as you guys call it, the grill. So we'd throw some food right. on the grill and um, sit down at lunch and just connect to the to the students a little bit more. Out of that, some... oh, sorry, out of that, I've no. just created some, you know, marvellous um, friendships too. It's, it's been a... It's been a thing um doing the knife making that's open doors that obviously being a, a systems administrator uh definitely wouldn't have done there's such an intimate you know i was talking to fingal i had fingal ferguson and noah vashon on a knife talk and we were talking about knife making and we we were t i was talking to noah before the show started then we kind of t touched upon a knife talk and i was saying that i th i believe that one of the things about knives that is so besides the fact that it's there's the primal thing, and then there's the usefulness, and it's a tool. Because it's so, they're so, generally speaking, you know, you're able to hold them in your hands. You're able to put them in your pocket. You're able to use them, but they're not 500 pounds. There's something, there's, a, there's an approachable quality to them that I think from a subconscious level, they're very attainable. They're very attainable to own, to appreciate, to like, to use. And I believe that there's something that that uh, that attainability, that that um, camaraderie that you can have. Also, I love when you're saying that you're teaching when you're teaching these classes. You guys are cooking and stuff like that. There, that's another. That's there's this kind of that bonding that you have when you're having a meal with your you know the students and you're cooking something up and you're making it kind of more an event. It's different than other kinds of classes, and uh, I think it's amazing. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it, it's something. Yeah, it's just something that I've got that, you know, people talk, we talk about, or lots of people talk about having a passion and, and moving forward and trying to sort of get that passion involved in what you do. And I've been really fortunate that that's something that, to me, has just absolutely been a part of that equation is, you know, with the teaching, I really enjoyed creating course content for data entry, systems-based stuff. And I used to like delivering those classes, but the people that are coming to me now are seeking me out and they're coming for that reason of, um, you know, I don't advertise my courses except for a little bit on Instagram and, and I rarely use Facebook these days, but 
um, a small amount there. So most people that contact me have either found my details through through a Google search where I, you know, I'm probably three pages back, um, or it's been word of mouth through a friend or a friend of a friend that's done my course. Um, and so they're seeking me out to deliver what their friend's experience was or something similar. So you, you're kind of under the pressure in some regards to you know, make their experience just as good as their friends were, or sometimes better, you know, yeah. <laughs> throw, something, yeah. throw, throw something extra in there that, that gets their friends fired up and say, hey, we didn't do that, uh, you know, what's the go there? And, um, you know, have, have those people return. But, you know, like saying before, though, it's, it's an amazing sort of thing. It just draws people from all walks of life in. And, and you see it with, um, you know, I follow the New England School of Metalwork, um, I primarily followed follow that because one of my other fanboy things was with Nick, Nick Rossi, um, yeah. who I also got to meet Nick at um, at Blade Show, which was one of those little those little moments I had. Kind of funny when you know you're a you're an adult in your forties and you're bouncing around foot to foot like a little schoolgirl because you've just met one of your uh, internet idols. Well, that's what you and I met at the I know, show yeah. a couple of years ago. Actually, and, and I, I, yeah, I don't know if I did it like externally, but in, internally, I was hopping from foot to foot. Oh, it's Jeff! It's Jeff. Well, you know, the funny thing was, was like I met Sausage Man Forge. Oh, who yeah. looks like I mean, he looks like legitimately a character out of Lord oh, of the Rings. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's fantastic, and he looked at me, and I he he introduced himself, and I was talking to him, and he's just staring in my eyes. Yeah. Without saying a word, and I'm just like, "Hey, man, you all right? Everything okay?" And he's just like this monster from like you know this big giant monster is like just like staring at me, and I'm like, "What's going on, man?" And, and it was a hilarious thing. But um, I you know the, one of the things about Australia in general is there is such an incredible knife making community. It's shocking when you think of like the heavy hitters, the murderers row of the culinary knife makers and other knife makers out of Australia. I mean, it really is something else. Oh, know? absolutely. And there are makers emerging that, at the moment that, they're, that what they're creating for their first few knives is just absolutely mind-blowing. So for me as a teacher, I, I sort of think, wow, you know, I might have to really lift my game soon because if some of these guys come to me for information, it's like, hey, well, you know, you're making pretty good knives already, so... <laughs> Um, and one of the advantages, uh, we've just started back with our knife shows too, which was a really exciting thing this year. Um, I'm, I'm the president of the Knife Art Association in Australia, and that association is primarily there to promote knife making and um, the knife making shows in Australia. And this, we had the Sydney Knife Making Show, or Sydney Knife Show, um, in August this year, it was our first one back in the first Sydney show back in three years, and mate, I was on the judging panel for the different categories uh, for the for the different um, knives that we have in there, and it was just mind blowing. Some of these, I'm looking at some of these guys going, Who, "Well, who's that guy? I've never seen him, I've never heard of him, and and they've got an outstanding knife." Um, a couple of them took pri- a couple of them took prizes away, and you're going. I've never even heard heard of this guy. So the depth of what's coming out of Australia at the moment is just absolutely amazing. But it has been. 
It has been like the it culinary, has been. especially yeah. the especially with surprisingly enough, the culinary knife game in Australia is like the top of the food chain. Like, I mean, you really want to talk about like, and I was talking to Mer- Ed Mert Tansu on too long, too long ago. Who's yes. a friend of yours? Mert's one of the the, the greatest. I love Mer- I love Mert Tansu. Mert Tansu yeah. is the greatest. And we we're talking about the influence of Japanese style knives in Australia because of a lot of it's the proximity to Asia that you mm. guys have. One of the interesting things to me is when I look at your knives, they're not Asian inspired 100%. Like you have very like almost um, Western style profiles. I feel as though you haven't totally embraced that whole Asian style, which is like easy to move. You know, without, if you would say take it for how it is, but Japanese design style knives are for knife makers are easy to move. Oh, correct. Yeah. And look, I started with that. And um, one of the basis of what I teach is the Japanese style stuff as well. Although, like I said, now that I'm doing it from home and I have less students, we can we can move that a little bit further out and have more of that. Yeah, it's, it's a strange thing. I've just evolved um, yeah. with my style. Um, I've had a few different um, influences in that. Uh, Mert's obviously one of those. Um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, Chad, uh, what's his name? Tristone Blades. Sure. So you got Tr- Chad Smith. So I spent some time with Chad um, after the Sydney Knife Show in two thousand and nineteen or eighteen, one of those. And he went through. He was he was just absolutely brilliant to me. Like we we had a similar sort of kinship and friendship to you and I. I guess we we just met we laughed and then we're like okay it's like back to when you're nine years old oh you laughed at my dad joke you laughed at my joke we're friends but i spent a week with chad and he went through some of the ins and outs of his geometry of his chef knives that you know i I won't share um his trade secrets too openly um to people but he gave me information that was just mind-blowing and um, I'm not sure if you've had the same experience, mate, but I was in his workshop. He had different grinders, different heights of grinders. I was feeling a little bit nervous being on the receiving end of being taught rather than teaching. And I was just a complete um, gumby, you know, like two left hands, all thumbs, that sort of stuff. And I'm pretty sure at one stage Chad looked at me and said, so you do make fucking knives, don't you? Oh, because geez. while I was grinding, I'm like making all these silly mistakes and I'm nervous and I'm like, oh no, oh no, what am I doing here? And I just, it was a real surprise for me because it just made me think, wow, this is how the people that I teach, how they feel <laughs> when they're in my classes. Yet I've got my mate Chad here, um, you know, showing me the, the, the geometry that he does on his, you know, world-class knives and you know, I took I took away a knife from there that was half half finished, had the right geometry, it cut really nicely, and I brought it home and I, I put it on our our a bench top near our kitchen, and I came inside a long time later and um, I found my wife using it and she she'd wrapped up the it was a hidden tang so she'd wrapped up the tang in some paper towel and she was using this knife and I'm looking at going. What are, you, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, this knife's just beautiful to work with. Are you ever going to finish it? So that forced me to then go and finish this knife, which I'd only hand sanded the first 
10 or 15 mils of the bottom to get it, you know, slicing nicely. And then I, I finally finished it off. But that knife has sat in my kitchen and it, it's just a beautiful thing to use. But the, I guess long-winded story to get to this answer, but I've been slowly but surely working on my geometry of my chef knives now to the point where I'd be comfortable handing something to Chad and saying, here you go, give this a test run. And him, you know, agreeing that that's, that's good. So I've been, yeah, just quietly chipping away in the background. So I think my knives are performance wise go really well. And the other big influence I had that's, um, well, I've had a few and I don't want to you know, discount anyone, but one of the standout ones is um, Bill Burke. He's, he's oh, yeah. one of the master smiths over in America. So Bill and I have kept in touch um, over the, all the whole lockdown periods and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I've sent him some photos of my knives with the geometry, you know, side on side profile of a knife, and he'll send back a... Uh, you know, a, a paint style drawing of where he thinks that I should fix it up if the belly's not right or the the tip's not right. Um, so I've taken that stuff on board as well. So and and then obviously I sit next to Mert um, at the majority of shows that we go to, and I see Mert's style, um, Dimitri. Oh, you know, there's uh, monster, another monster. Yeah, Tobias. Uh, so Metal Monkey, his his stuff is. Um, you know, they're all guys that are just at the top of their league with those good-looking performance knives. The interesting thing about the Mert is he came out, I, I, when I interviewed him, what was interesting was he's come at it from a completely different point than most knife makers have. And what's interesting is when you say that, like, you meet these young guys, you're like, where did you come from? Most of them come from just the Internet. Most of them, like, never took classes before. I believe that classes... And working under people is a relatively new thing. It isn't as mm. popular as it used to be. And you're seeing people who are learning from watching YouTube videos, listening to podcasts, reading tips, getting tips, and just kind of constantly, slowly, slowly innovating. The Mert's so fascinating because, like, I can see how his influ I can see how he influenced your designs in terms of like the direction of your profile. Because I mean, you have that kind of like willow. The spine comes down, and it's not just like you know, like a K tip or like a Santuco. Not often. The, I see a lot more of that Western style, which he uses, and he told me that when he cooked, that's what he used, yeah. and that it was very. I think that it's a it's what you guys have created with this kind of community is be is great because all of a sudden you you that's the con, the idea of evolving as a as a craftsman. It's not just going from zero to a hundred right off the bat, you kind of got to go all the way. You got to go, it's these slow incremental steps to kind of show your work and how it works and how it, you know, performs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And when I first met Mert, it was a similar, kind of a similar story to you and I really, we, we just struck up um, online and, um, you know, all of a sudden I had this guy called Mert, strange name, um, even in Australia with our multicultural sort of background, Mert was an interesting name and um, kept in touch back and forth. And then we had one of our Sydney knife shows and all of a sudden this, you know, what is he, six foot three, uh, he's, I think he's a touch taller than me, um, had this 
imposing figure suddenly show up at my my knife table at the Sydney show and um, it was this guy Mert and it was like wow you know and we just had this broad smiles for each other because we'd we'd met in person and it was a similar experience to I guess you and I and probably Mert and yourself meeting in person but we had a lot longer between that experience whereas I met Mert reasonably quick um, and then I found out oh you know he's this huge Turkish guy and he's a chef uh, a very good chef at that um, and and we just connected mate and we've been we've been friends ever since and um, yeah, like I said, it's, ama- it's an amazing thing. The, the kinship involved in in this knife making enterprise is just one of the coolest things. You know, like there's competition. We all have our quiet competition with everyone, and um, some guys push that competition side of things a little further than I particularly like to do. But right, um, it's just it's just the like I said that connection, that kinship in it, and. We're, as you said, we're making things that are tangible. We're making things that you can see, feel, touch, and you know, for want of another term, judge. You can right. you can hold that thing and judge it and go, oh wow, okay, Mert, this is amazing. You know, like um, this knife is humongous, but it's it's featherweight and it's comfortable in the hand. That's just you know, really a job really well done. And I think one of the things with the friendship with Mert and some of the information that we've shared as well and the evolution of my stuff and, and thanks for recognising that um, Mert has been an influence on it is he also gets that um, experience every time we have a knife show that literally, I, I being the president of the Knife Art Association, may or may not have some influence over sitting next to Mert at every show. Um, <laughs> All right. You're, you're entitled so, to a couple yeah, of benefits, you know. right? I mean, you could have a little benefit right here and there. It was that, the end that's of the right. Yeah, that's right. And, and yeah, so, slightly sideways. When things go quiet at a knife show, which we didn't experience on the last one, but we do tend to get up to a little bit of trouble, Mert and I, which we've been frowned upon on a couple of shows. I can't believe it personally, but, <laughs> you know. Uh, but Mert also has seen the evolution of my stuff as well and, um, <clears throat> you know, get that. He, he's got a really cool sort of face that he makes when you've done something, you know, when he recognises that it's done well. <laughs> he sort of leans back a little bit and raises one eyebrow and just gives you a bit of a stare down. And, he's you know, an interesting guy. He's yeah. an interesting guy. I met him when I met you at Blade yeah. Show. And I remember going up to his table, and he is an imposing guy, big, oh, yeah. big guy. And I remember standing behind. I was standing next to his table. He moved everything. It was in Atlanta. He'd already moved everything. I think he had maybe one thing left or something like that. And he and I just I stood behind his table, and we chatted. And it was he's such a fascinating guy, and uh, I just love you guys have this – I'm amazed that you guys all came from Australia to the Blade Show. I mean, I, that whole your whole you and the and and Saucy and and all you guys all came over to the United States to come to the Blade Show, and I, it was it was just this. I remember looking for the Australia. Everyone was telling me, "Oh, the Australians are here. The Australians are here." And it was just this great. It was this great camaraderie because that's the that's kind of the best thing. And I think that the, I don't necessarily think a lot of other makers or craftspeople have the camaraderie that knife makers do. Like I don't I don't necessarily know that it's as close as it is with the knife making. No, I was just trying to run through and think of, you know, like is there a you know, you get the woodworkers events, cabinet makers and stuff and I'm pretty sure they don't bond maybe they maybe they do. I don't know, maybe. 
Yeah, look, you know, coming to Blade Show for me the first time, that Bill Burke had come over to Australia um, through the Knife Art Association and was running um, the ABS intro class over here and, and it was a big experience, learning experience for the association and the Australian people and I believe Bill, um, you know, in running that class and, and we had an awesome facility uh, in Sydney, that's run by um, Matt, Matthew Mewburn, Matt, Matt Mewburn, who we affectionately call Spewbum. Um, <laughs> you've got to get him on one day, mate, because he is an absolute riot, one of the nicest guys in the world. Uh, so he runs a place called Everly Works in Sydney, and it's a historic um, locomotive um, warehouse um, up, up basically right in the centre of Sydney there. And there's been a lot of development go around that particular area and there was a massive um, outcry from not just the knife-making community but the blacksmithing community and the historical preservation sort of societies um, to maintain a part of that works because there was a big developer coming in and making massive changes around there. So the benefit being Maddie's workshop was um, done up a lot nicer than it was when Bill came down. But when Bill was there, it was just this awe-inspiring blacksmith workshop. I, I imagine it would be similar to the New England School of Metalworks and that sort of stuff. Um, and we had 16 guys doing the ABS intro under Bill and a few of the Aussie guys. And Bill, Bill through the part, we, we connected pretty well. Um, a lot of the guys that are my friends here in Australia were friends with Bill and had travelled over there to the US with Bill a number of times and I took their value, basing their value of Bill, um, that he must be a pretty good bloke if if my mates like him. Um, so anyway, through the conversations, I've, I've, a couple of things that were said through the time, you know, got along well and thought, oh, I think I like this guy. Uh, and then he invited me over to the US with these other guys and, and that was a pretty sort of crazy thing for me to, to take into account, you know, like, oh, wow, go over to the US and yeah, that'll be fun. Um, and my first Blade show that I went to, uh, 2018, um, I was just coming over as a, as a visitor. I was going to spend three days being, you know, awestruck meeting and seeing knife makers from the globe in this, this spectacular place. And then <clears throat> not long leading into it, um, I got a call from Bill and he was like, can you bring some knives over? And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, no worries. I was just thinking he said, bring some knives over to you know, show people what I make. Um, but what had actually happened is I, I got an opportunity to you know, show and sell knives that first time I went there, and that was pretty, pretty scary thing. Wow. But, you know, that's my first time there, and, um, you know, it was a different crowd. I have to say a very, very different experience from a seller's point of view and understanding more so after the show and having time to process it all, Blade Show is just phenomenally large. Like, if people haven't been there, you won't get the scope of how big it is until you've actually been to Blade Show. People right. people talk about how big it is and how fast you have to walk to see every table and every maker, um, and you don't get the true impression of that until you've physically been there. And one of the things I found was really strange was 
obviously with the reputation of a lot of makers and their tables and their shows, people were lining up at those doors and running into a particular maker's table to buy what they had, which which was pretty mind-blowing for, for an Australian to see these, you know, 10 or 15 guys almost fighting to get a knife off, you know, one of the sellers. But that's for them what Blade Show was about. It was an opportunity to buy that knife from that person at that location. And the crowd just seemed to sort of walk past your table and it was like, wow, you know. I initially thought, well, my knife's... Uh, they're not really standing out because no one's stopping. And then I sort of said something to Bill because he was next to me. And he said, oh, no, you have to engage, the cra- engage them as they go past. I was like, oh, okay. And he said, oh. you're, you're an Aussie. Say g'day, as, as they do. <laughs> so literally the next person Start goes speaking past. speaking like uh, Crocodile Dundee. You'll yeah, get everybody over there. Exactly. <laughs> and so <laughs> Bill's... Play on it. So I was like, oh, next person that went past was like, g'day, mate. You know, yeah, Croc Dundee here. (laughs) (laughs) And that person, they sort of paused for that moment and just looked at me and then looked at the table and saw I had knives. And their trance from where they were going was temporarily broken. And they came over and looked at the knives and they were like, wow, these are really nice knives. And it's like, oh, thanks very much. And then they'd move on and, you know. So I, I learned pretty fast that in 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 a, an event like Blade Show, where you just have so many tables to go to and so many things to see, that you kind of got to break that spell and you've got to you know say hello or you know g'day, play on a part of it um, to get those people over to see your knives. And that was a difference between Australia and the US. Is in Australia, we get people coming to the table. And they just want to talk to you and they talk right. to you. And, and you've got 10 people behind that you're looking at going, okay, this guy not showing that much interest in buying a knife, but that's not to say he won't, but he's blocking 10 people behind him from seeing my table, you know. <laughs> so in Australia, it seems to be uh, maybe our, our shows are that little bit smaller that, and it's probably a novelty to a lot of people. They want to come and talk to the maker, see what you've made, handle it and go wow that's beautiful whereas i think in america with the size of your shows they want to get in and see six makers because they're only there for a day see those six makers and get the heck out of there you know i frankly it i've been a few times and all i can i when somebody asks me if they should i we get a lot on knife talk should i get a table and i sometimes i say that it's it's almost like you're selling hamburgers at a hamburger festival Yes. Like because it's like it's so it's so hard to get set yourself out there, and the hardest part is is most knife now. One of the things about Blade Show, if this is your first time hearing about Blade Show, is there's like companies like Spiderco and and uh, all these big name companies there to sell product. That's what a lot of those guys who are running through the door trying to get their first hand hands on like this, you know, new Spyderco knife or something like that. So you have the you have big time companies like for Victor Knox is there and all these guys and like the big name guys. And then you have all these knife you know, custom knife makers. And and the problem is is a lot of custom knife makers and you you would probably agree with this and I would agree with this, is it, because it's such a solitary job, a solitary business because you're you're starting as a hobbyist, or maybe this is your part-time thing, or maybe you're working by yourself, or maybe you're alone all the time. 
you don't you you you're putting your you're putting all your your heart and your soul into these things and then for when somebody walks past and just doesn't even give you they don't even acknowledge you <laughs> yeah it can you're so vulnerable your your ego is so vulnerable how do these people walk past and not recognize how hard i've worked on these things and it can be soul crushing i mean i know just for i mean for my own my own sake we used to in my old studio in in brooklyn we had um we had these events where people would, it would open studios and people would walk through everybody's studios and these guys I had my studio, I spent days cleaning, and I had all sculpture all over the place and art all over the place, and these people would walk in, and they would look and roll their eyes and walk out with a glass of wine, and I felt like I felt like I was so vulnerable to this disrespect that it was like too much for me, and I was like, I don't want to do this at all. So I can imagine that at Blade Show, when you're just people are walking past you, and now all of a sudden you got to do a song and dance to get them over, it can be very demoralizing. Oh, absolutely. But uh, one thing that plays in my favour um, is I'm not the quietest of people. Like, I'm a, I call myself an extroverted introvert. Right. I'm happy to be in my workshop by myself working. I love it, you know. I love space just to be mine. But when I get a chance to teach or I get a chance to be at a show, the other side, the showmanship side of me sort of comes to play. But, mate, when I was at Blade Show, I was... Um, delirious with jet lag because I'd not traveled to the States before. So I was, you know, 18 hours or more, actually it was more than that. It was close to 24 hours of traveling. And then all of a sudden I'm thrown onto a table in, in a master Smith lane at blade show with 10 knives in front of me and a crowd that, like I said, were really tough. It was like, wow, I had those exact feelings, mate. I was like, why, what am I here for? You know, why am I doing this? This is right. crazy. Like no one's, no one's even stopping for the time of day. And <clears throat> and I thought, oh well, I'm in a, I'm in a area where there's, you know, some pretty popular makers. Hopefully that'll, you know, lend lend good things to me. And like I said, it was that difference with just Bill saying to me, oh, you need to engage them. And and for me at least, I was able to snap out of my sort of, you know delirious stage of jet lag and everything and actually say hello to people and start to bring them over and have a talk to them and the same goes in in australia though um you you're talking the same thing mate we've got <clears throat> let's say um 75 of the tables at sydney show were um custom makers and there there are some very unique makers and then everyone is you know, a few degrees either side of everyone else normally in what you're producing in, in terms of shape and look. A whole lot of other factors come in, but when when Joe Public walks in, they're, they're just seeing knives right? and, and colours and shapes. So they're, they're getting an overwhelming experience of, you know, too much information coming in. So a big part of what, in my view, a big part of what helps sell the knives is, you know, the engagement with the customers and my sort of thinking is nearly every knife show that I go to, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm there to sell some knives. It'd be really nice to make my money back on travel and accommodation, that sort of stuff. But I'm there to have fun and I'm there to meet makers and I'm there to see my friends and I'm really there just to be a bit of a showman for those couple of days. So then I can close those doors for the next, 
period of time and go and be my introverted self again. So for me, I get to be a bit of a showman, talk to customers, have a laugh with them. Some some people I don't even talk about knife making. I might see that they're wearing a uh, a shirt that has you know some sort of guild or other thing that's not knife and knife related, and we'll talk about that. Hmm. And they go away, and I'm like, that was a really cool conversation. Um, and they may or may not come back and get a knife. It doesn't matter. But it's about selling. You're selling yourself so that people that may not necessarily buy something from you at that time, you're hoping that you've left an impression with them that sometime down the track they might go, hey, I've got a friend's birthday coming up and I think significant birthday, a a knife would be a really nice thing to buy them. Oh, I remember that guy from Sydney Knife Show. You're trying to set yourself apart in Australia with our smaller shows, 75 makers or whatever the thing is, as you said, when you go to Blade Show, I love that analogy, mate. You're trying to sell hamburgers at a hamburger fair. Yeah. And what separates your burger from the next burger? It's not the cheese. It's the person that's flipping it. It's the person that's selling it. Yeah. It's the person that's there. That that front man doing the, the sales spiel is what's going to be different. And having said that, man, like, you know what it's like as well as I do. Man, there, there are some serious characters that get to Blade Show. Like, I, I loved it. I'd be walking around and just looking at these guys and they were in their element right. um, selling stuff. And, yeah, you know, and you, you're up against that. And it's just like, wow. You know, and that's just Blade Show. Then you go to the internet and, as we know, things just grow and grow and grow. So you're trying to set yourself apart from a heck of a lot of people that do the same thing and do it really well. But, you know, I try not to stress about that sort of stuff. If you get caught up in, if you get too caught up in that side of it and you become, start to become more aware of what other people are doing than what you're doing, you're losing that focus on on who you are and what, you, what you're doing. You can't begrudge other people, oh, that guy's doing this stuff, oh, he sells really well, oh, you know, this is no good. Because you're not investing time in what you're doing and what you're making and standing out. You're investing time in worrying about why someone else is successful. And, and you know, the last thing I want to do is sit there and judge someone badly for actually being successful. It just, that doesn't make sense in my mind. It's like, you want everyone to be that gets into this game to be successful. You can't look at it and go, oh, there's a new maker who does a style similar to mine. I hope he doesn't take my customers. Right. Well, that happens. <laughs> well, it happens. Exactly. That happens. <laughs> that happens. I, I'm not even going to go into it, but I, no, I know all no. about it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I will say, which is a, a couple of things. One thing I will say, the funny part is, is the community of knife makers are perfect for learning how to make knives. The community of knife makers are terrible for business. Learning Correct. business, learning business from other knife makers is the biggest banana tailpipe of all time, because you know you're just basically like, it's just like, I mean they're they're not good. They're not good at, at the idea of what business is. It's just because they don't know and they know what they think that they know. I, I have to admit that I am guilty of when I have gone to Blade Show. I kind of put my eyes down. If I I usually when I go to Blade Show, I have a game plan. Like I start mm. from. I start from one side to the other, and then I have certain people I want to see, 
But then, like, if I'm whipping, I have to whip through some aisles and not get eye contact because I'm afraid of, like, you get an eye contact and I don't want to give someone the hope that I'm looking for a knife and I don't want to waste their time. And I'm very much along the lines of, like, I get very nervous about, like, I don't want them to think that I might be a potential customer. I don't want to waste all their energy and stuff like that. The other thing is, is, like, I I know for a fact that I will not get a table blade show for this reason when i was a child my father was a winemaker a very successful winemaker in the hudson valley and he used to do these farmers markets and he would ask me to come with him and i'd keep him company and we would give tastes wine tasting so you give a small little glass so they could taste and maybe they'll buy maybe they'll buy a bottle of wine or sometimes a case of wine or something like that but you're constantly pouring little tastes for people and i found that there were so many people who would just come over just because they wanted to get bombed and they just all they wanted were free tastes of wine, and they didn't care about the wine. They didn't care about my dad. They didn't care about how he made the wine. They didn't give a shit about it. They just wanted. And I found it to be so. I was so insulted as a small child because I was like, "Don't you understand what it takes to make this bottle of wine?" And you just want to get bombed. My dad would say, "Don't worry. Don't give him any more. He just wants to get bombed." And it was like so. I was so insulted for him. And it was like I hated it. I hated, you know, what the what the the uh, the idea of some of the uh, direction or the uh, reasoning behind some of the makers, uh, the people at these makers events. That I was just like, I can't. I don't. I have like a probably have some sort of like, you know, mental block from allowing myself to do one of those things. I can't. I can't get sucked into that those tables. Like God bless you for doing it. God bless you for doing it. Yeah. Well, I'm a hundred percent with you there because. I have that same feeling. We have small farmers markets near us, and I, yeah, it's not pity, but there's some other feeling that's close to that when you do see, you know, a whole bunch of people gather around because they've just put out their latest tastings, and people are sitting there and they've got their toothpicks and they're stabbing them and they're throwing, you know, mouthfuls of this stuff in, and you're not even tasting it. You're not even asking them about the ingredients. You're not even asking them what's invested in this. And I'm very similar to you that I've seen that. And I and I look at it particularly when parents let their younger kids go in there and, you know, it's lunchtime, go for it. Right. Um, unlike you, I, I don't try something unless – I actually have a desire to buy it. <laughs> yeah, because you feel you feel like this kind of like guilt. These people are putting yeah. this thing out there. Yeah. You know who loves? You know who loves doing farmers markets? And I'm, my mind is blown. It's Fingal Ferguson. Fingal Ferguson. <laughs> Fingal Ferguson makes the most amazing sh- cheeses and sausages oh. and all this stuff. He loves the. I said to him, I was like, "How do you like doing?" He's like, "I love the people. I love the kids, and they're coming over. They want something to eat. Oh, I love man. it." Wow. I'm like, "You're out of your fucking mind, man. Yeah. These people are all scum. They just want everything for free, and if it's free, it's for me, and I'll take three. Yeah, they love it. Exactly. They love yeah. it. He loves oh, it. He wow. He's passed it. He's passed it all. He's passed the. Oh, man. These people aren't going to buy anything. They're just here for free shit. He doesn't give a. He loves it." Fuck, he needs, they need to do a study on his brain. Uh, Fingal is Fingal is one of the good ones. He is yeah. he is a, he's extraordinary guy, extraordinary guy. Yeah. So what's what else is going? So uh, here's one of the things I wanted to bring up was I remember you were, you had mentioned that you and and, uh, and Mert had gotten into some things. I remember when Knife Talk first started where. Uh, Craig had Mareko and I on. I remember I was doing a live. I would do these live streams before we would before yep. we would we before we would go on just to kind of warm my voice up. 
that's probably why I do all the ad reads on full blast is to just try to kind of like get the blood flowing and stuff like that. And I remember you, before we went on, you and Mert were just about to go to bed and you guys were going out of your You were having a live stream. You were, you were three sheets in, you were in a hotel room. You just finished, you just finished doing, and it was hilarious. The two of you were hilarious together, just like sharing this room and going nuts. And, and I think that was the, the idea behind uh, knife making uh, down under, isn't it? Yeah, look, I think it's that started it because, um, look, you know, I'm on these podcasts with you, and I'm on the I'm on the one which we do, and I've done a couple of live feeds myself, but I have some. There's some fear of doing it within me. I, I don't yeah. know what it is, but as soon as it starts, though, that that fear just drops, and I might as well be right. a comedian on stage somewhere. But man, that you're just bringing back the. the Oh, mate, the memories of that particular... I know what one it was. We're at the Queensland Knife Show, and Mert and I were staying in the same room. Right. And, yeah, we were we were just obliterated. We were so You're drunk bombed. it wasn't fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we, ate, we were back at the room, and we were eating... Uh, watermelon and all sorts of other stuff and you know just as you are when you're drunk you're just pushing this stuff like the market people you're just pushing this stuff in to your to your mouth and and do, doing that live thing and then I remember Mert was going to go to like all of a sudden he's just like I'm going to bed and I was like what so I've done the live stream and went over and I'm laying on Mert and I've sheeted him so he couldn't get his arms out and I don't know, I think I was singing him a lullaby or something and he's struggling <laughs> under. And it was, for me, it was a bit of an awakening because at that stage back then, mate, I was a lot bigger and stronger than I am definitely now. And you've got this Hulk underneath your name, Mert Tansu, that's like nearly throwing me off that off that bed. And I was under there going, oh man, what have I got myself into here? But it's like, ah, oh, no, screw it. If, if he gets me out of bed and beats me up, that'll be good for the good for laughs anyway. But... Oh yeah, like that. That was one of the things where we said, yeah, we should should do get engaged and do something um, like the podcast. And the first, like I said, yeah, we we claim and probably will forever that it's the most unprofessional podcast in the world. And I think these days it's not exactly that. Initially, it was our sound recording was woeful, our content was terrible. Um, we we would just drink because it was the we called them the pubcast because through lockdown people wanted us to do a live pubcast or podcast at at night and we just started drinking mate and, and I for one nearly pickled myself more times than I care to remember like Fridays used we used to do these things Thursday nights and Friday morning I used to get up late with just a ringing bell hangover go, whoa, what happened? And then, you know, I'd have messages there from people and, you know, like, oh, dear. I remember with, with our South African mate, Henning Wilkins, that uh, Wilkinson, that I spoke to him after our podcast one night till like two uh, 3 o'clock or whatever in the morning. And I vaguely even remembered that and I was like, oh, dear. <laughs> so they're a, they're a lot more controlled now when we do do them um we've all had some stuff on this year that's limited our chances or ability to get on and do those but we enjoy it and we're still going to do it we we do have a a small you know hate to say the word but almost a cult that cult group of followers 
um, that push us to get back on. Like I said, it's just, um, yeah, you'd be aware sometimes, mate, the world takes over and you're like, geez, I, I wish I had more time. We've just pushed that aside and go, look, we need more time. We've got stuff going on and, and trying to get the three of us together has been tough on occasions, but the plan is to keep it going. And we've really enjoyed when we've got you on there too, by the way. I, I, I have to break into this when you say unprofessional. I, I would, at first I remember when you call me on, I know and we would, we would send support from knife talk and we would call you knife talk down under as a joke yeah. and stuff like that. Oh, we loved it. <laughs> One of the things that I'll, I'll say, which was fascinating and talking to Mert and also I watch, I mean, when you guys are on, it's usually seven o'clock in the morning and I'm, you know what I'm doing, I'm kind of yes, rolling yeah. out of bed and you'd have it on. You guys create, it's when you say cult, it's interesting you say that because you've created, you created a vibe that was very, very much more rabid than anything we were doing at Knife Talk. Your following came to watch your show live, and I, because I was watching live and I was interacting, and you, you would, you did it on through Facebook, and people were coming in and they were drinking with you and talking with you. And what's fascinating is, is because it was a live, it was more of a live event than a podcast. Correct. Because during lockdown, people had nothing to do, and they would, and they were like, it was like they were having a drink with you guys, and talking to other people who watched your show. And it was great. Number two, don't let me forget. It. I got to talk about your Bob Kramer interview, which fucking infuriates me. You're so goddamn good. <laughs> when you guys created something that was far more than just this podcast comes out on a Friday, and it was very, very, very. It wasn't even a, I don't even think it was like a podcast. It was almost like a meeting. And I love the interaction you guys had. I loved the, 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 the conversations that you had, but your fan base were, I mean, you say cult, it was like, they were fucking rabid. They were, they were mentioning <laughs> me. When are they going to come back on? When, when, when are Merton and Corn and, and uh, Kev going to come back on? And I would get these messages about, of support for you guys because you were there for them. And it was like something totally different than just knife, you know, making knife, saying knife talk down under was just like a joke. But at the same time, it's like you guys created something that was far more valuable in the sense of like dealing with people at the moment. And you kept people company. I, I, I'm a, I know the importance of, I mean, radio saved my life. I mean, radio saved my life. New York City, growing up in New York City by myself, New York City and radio saved my life. It was keeping me company. And I didn't feel like I was alone. And I didn't feel like, I mean, my parents weren't around. I was a latchkey kid. I was said it a million times. And when I was home alone for weekends, I'd be, I'd be home alone for we whole weekends without seeing a parent. The radio kept me company. And, I, and they weren't telling me what to do. And they weren't giving me, uh, you know, some sort of scolding. Or they wouldn't get, they were keeping me, they were telling me stories and keeping me company. And they were there for me. And that was what you were, guys were doing for a lot of your listeners in Australia when it was like, fucking, what are we supposed to do now? We can't go anywhere. And you guys would have these great events. Yeah. I mean, it meant something. It meant a lot to these guys. Oh, yeah. And it meant, it meant a lot to us. Um, we, we would, we would have got together just the three of us without doing any sort of live event to other people and had those same conversations. Right. Like that, 
a lot of the guys that like it, and you know, we will get back into it. Promises, promises going out there to people. Um, you're exactly right. It was kind of like we, we had people say to us, it's, it's like if we were at a, a pub or a bar and we were listening to three guys having a conversation that to us sounded quite funny. Yeah. And it's like they were eavesdropping in on something, but then we brought them in and engaged them that little bit more in that time. And, oh, man, like I said, messy, messy, messy stuff to begin with. And it, it was uh, out of control, um, literally out of control on some occasions. But, yeah, we've pulled the reins in there um, through medical <laughs> medical reasons. Probably. Yeah, I bet. <clears throat> Longevity I of livers and kidneys and all the rest of stuff going on. But... That's exactly what we want to push across is just let's get together. Uh, we all, we're always on there, Mert, Corin and myself, at the start. We do similar to you. We're on there 15 minutes early to, to have a chat about what we're going to chat about. And we just talk. And then we go, okay, well, let's just have a quick one. Let's just do, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes, just so people know we're there. And right. an hour and a half later, yeah, we're, we're still talking, looking at the time going, oh, look, hey, it's getting late. Um Maybe we should wrap it up. And sometimes we have loaded content, informative content, particularly with regards to knives, steel, that sort of stuff. And other times we just talk about what we're up to, where life is, and then let the interaction from those people that you know, want to send a question or a comment through. Um, and and we, like I said, we're doing it live. And the fun part about live is... Um, similar to what you gave me the warning of earlier today was um, you're not going to edit this, so just be mindful if you don't want to say something. <laughs> if you don't want to have something <laughs> out there, um, don't say it. Yeah. And, and we've at times, though, been on that podcast and we go on our little tangents and and, and we get caught up and, and then we're like, shit, did we just say that? Oh, ah, it doesn't matter. And, yeah. you know, look, there's... The, the Australians are generally laid back enough and we're a weird culture that insults generally relate to that, that bonding between people. Like, right, ball break. You know, yeah, you sort of ball break people. What, what you, the knucklehead stuff, you know. like. Um, so that's that's a weird part of Australian culture, but we love it and we just, we just go with it. I'll tell you what was infuriating to me was – you guys, I watch you guys, you're getting bombed and you're having a good time. And I, for, I usually tell like young guys getting into podcasting, I usually tell them not to drink Yeah, <laughs> on a podcast for, th for this reason. Sometimes with young guys, especially if they don't have a good relationship with their, 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 their hosts or what happens is, is they're hoping that the alcohol or the drugs will make them better. And I find that to be for podcasting. I don't, that's hope is for the birds. You have to like, you kind of need to know what you're doing and hoping that you're just, you know, drinking. I used to be on a podcast with my buddy Nico and he, we would get bombed and it just sounded, it's just for us. It didn't sound good. But one of the things that was infuriating is when you guys had Bob Kramer on. Yeah, <laughs> that that's how you why it infuriated me because it was so goddamn good that all I could think of is well I can't have him on or he won't even come on. So that was that was <laughs> it. I mean it was so he was so got. If you listen to Knife Making Down Under and listen to the Bob Kramer episode, it was a monster. It was a monster. It was infuriating. Look, I think I think Bob was seriously the best person that we've had on by a mile. 
by a mile, but the, mate, you can understand how we were feeling. Nervous, terrified. 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 We've got Bob Kramer coming on. And as soon as he sat down, and I think I think he had a whiskey, popped up a whiskey, yep. and we were like, "Oh, this is this is good." <laughs> you know, he's relaxed, and oh, I'll, I'll go back and listen to that. I hate the sound of my own voice when when you listen to it, but I'll I'll go back and listen to that again because it was just such a great conversation. Oh. You guys did such a good job too because you let him you let him do the heavy lifting. He's a good storyteller, and you guys all backed off and let him just go. And I, there was this there was a couple moments where you could tell that he was. I think I was watching it live, and you could tell that he was really relaxed because he had a beer, and then he would get up to bring something to show you. Like he had this crazy what was that that uh, Chris knife? Oh, yeah. He had this Chris knife and. He was taught Chris knife for for those who who don't know it's it's a it's like a it's like a long dagger but it's not a straight blade it makes like an S so it goes back and forth it has these uh, repeating curves and it's crazy looking and he's there having a drink he's pouring himself a beer and he's t- talking to the guys and he's not paying attention that there are anybody else there he's like, wait let me get something and he gets up and he gets this giant chris knife and he's telling the story of the chris knife he's telling the story of this thing and it was like i was like god damn these fucking australians got a good one it was, I was yeah. so mad. when i when i listen to an interview and i get mad that's a compliment because i'm just like god damn it how good. do these guys get this and i don't get it yeah good <laughs> yeah, good. I was just like, God damn it, these guys got a good one. But uh, yeah, no, no. I, I really, honestly, I do hope that you guys come back. I know that I remember listening to one where you guys were talking about when Mert got scammed by a customer, and that was a good one. And and I just, you know, it is definitely like it's more than just a podcast. It's a, it's more like a live event. It is, and uh, I have to agree with you wholeheartedly. There, it's podcast is not the right term. Yeah, it's not. Um, it, it's a. It's just a gather. I, I'd like to say it's a gathering. It's a get together. It's like I said. It's just that break from the monotony of life. Get together and listen to these three clowns and whoever they manage to bring on. Um, and but you can interact though. Like, yeah, if you're exactly listening right. on through yeah. Facebook, Facebook, you guys were like interact. We tried that on Knife Talk, and the problem was for us was. The audio was we we couldn't figure out a way to make the audio good. And the other thing was is I don't like to be seen when I'm doing this because yes, a part of it is like I like to roll my eyes or like to you know I, I put my hand on my face and I'm I'm very this isn't for me it, it isn't good for I don't think it's a good video visual of the three of us you're looking at three different boxes and it's just I don't think it looks good. Uh, you know if you had like a set like a radio like a TV, TV show that's a different st- story with cameras mm. and stuff like that. But it's almost it's hard. Hard to like look at three guys now when you guys are doing it on Facebook and you were interacting with people it became far more interesting as a, a gathering people would it was like they were coming into a show that your 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 guests were or your the listeners would get a drink and sit by the computer and have a drink with you guys and cheers and you guys were cheersing the audience and it was like it was this great oasis for people to deal with their streaming. Mean, obviously, during pandemic, a podcast went kind of crazy, mm. and and it was this kind of like it was a degree of relief, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and I'm like you. I don't like seeing my face on that screen. 
Um, and I don't like hearing my voice when I'm listening to a recording back. I'm like, oh, God, really? Is that me? Um, but like I said, it's the interaction with the others. Um, so Corin has the, the master control, let's say. Yeah. Um, so he gets to bring up the um, conversation points that people have raised or the comments that they've made. And that's why sometimes on there, like you'll hear Mert and I over talking each other to bring up someone's comment that was said 15 minutes prior or whatever. Um, we get Corin to bring that up. But it's funny because, you know, it's that, like I said, that reverse culture thing where insults lead to friendship for a lot of the part. <laughs> and we have that from the guys as well. Like the, the listeners are sitting there, as we say in Australia, taking the piss out of us. And that's also funny because we're developing these relationships with these right. people and they're, they're confident enough, not to, not to extend it too far, but they're confident enough to actually stick, stick it in the ribs a little bit as well and have a laugh and, you know, risk, risk one of us. So, oh, you know, bugger off, mate, or whatever we say. Yeah. Um, but they're also confident enough, I think, to get on and have a little bit of a laugh as well. And some of the comments that you guys don't see uh, floating up and down the side panel that we get, um, yeah, you've you've got people interacting with people that are listening to the podcast as well. So you've got conversations going between people that are listening as well as people as well as us that are there talking. And it's funny when you see that sometimes. You know, a little side conversation starts and you'll see a comment and go, that makes no sense at all. Ah, oh, he's talking to someone else now about a question that was we talked about 10 minutes ago. It's like, a, it's like listening to conversations in a bar. Exactly, you know, it's, yes. It's like, it's like these crossover conversations. It's crazy. And P.S., the funny part about Corin is you know that he's got controls because he's, he is flush with power. You can hear it in his voice. Like, the, the, like he has got, he's, he's got power out the ears because I, you can tell the way he talks and the way he just kind of like he, – he's got all the buttons. You can tell he's the button guy because I mean, just the, his whole mannerisms, everything is like – you could just feel it. You can feel it when you hear yeah. that Corin's got the uh, power. Mate. You can just – he, right he loves it. You know, he, yeah, he's, yeah. Gamico is a, is a big enterprise. It's the knife making side of Gamico is a, is a, well, it's now a significant portion, but he's running a, an industry for um, gas and mechanical stuff. And they're dealing with, you know, materials that would put most knife makers to shame. They might sell one item that would be the entirety value of my, my entire workshop. Um, so he's running that business and, and, and he's just, he really is a good businessman, and that part of him comes out to play. That manager side of him comes out to play in the podcast, and I love it. I let him go. I'm like, good. I, I personally think, good, it's you, not me. Yeah. Because um, yeah. when I managed people in my old job, I hated it. It was like, oh, I've got to tell these people. I've got to give them a workload. I've got to tell them they're doing a good job, or a worst case, tell them they're doing a bad job, or why, and blah, management, screw that. I'd rather be the person that sits in the corner and, you know, gets given some work to do and just does it. See, that's the, I want to be, I want to be the, you know, I love knife talk because I love that, that you can hear Craig's the butt. He got the buttons too. You, yeah. He sometimes you can hear in his voice. He got the power too. I want the power because I'm like, <laughs> with this, with these goddamn things, I'm a, such a control freak. I would love the buttons. I would love to have control. I would, you would, I would be completely unreasonable, completely unreasonable. Yeah. I had, um, it. I had it one podcast where Corum wasn't around, but he just set it all up for us. 
and then I had the administrator controls and then for whatever reason I mustn't have cleared the browsing history or something for the next two episodes that we went into I could still bring up people's conversations to the screen and I could see that like Corin was just looking at the screen going how did that get up there oh and yeah he, he just like- in the back of his mind is like fuck one of these guys has got some control yeah no I no, you can feel it you can feel you can feel that it's hilarious because I mean like yeah. you know yeah I know all about it I I, I think the power dynamics in a, in a podcast are hysterical <laughs> um they're hilarious I mean like I I just did a podcast with with uh with uh Fingal and, and Noah Vachon and yeah. I sent that I sent the title to Craig and here's the title here's the description I just basically thought you know I don't want you to have to do any work so he changed it and I can tell I was just like okay I know he changed the title because it was like he wanted a little bit of some sort of control in that and I appreciated it and everything like that. But uh, look, podcasting is fun, but it does mean a lot to a lot of people, you know, especially it's, people yeah, who it's are funny. alone. Yeah, it's funny you know? the amount of uh, messages that I just get sent directly to me uh, from the people like, similar to what you're saying, I hope you guys are going to keep going. Please right. come back. And sometimes I don't think about it. I've got a lot on at the moment and I just don't even take a second thought over it. And then you just, you get that contact from the people and you're like, oh, we, yeah, we actually mean something to these people oh my god you are their it's a, companion it's a strange it's a strange feeling honestly for me when i go places and people come up and they're talking to me and then they'll mention like the pubcast podcast and it's like oh that's right i, I do that because i forget yeah it's just like oh no i'm just i'm just kev slattery you know it doesn't matter but it's people come up to you and they say oh and they like so they'll ref, refer to a particular episode and something that we've said, and <laughs> my brain just sits there and it's like yeah. trying to recall what happened at what time. When was that? What did I say? Oh, okay, gee, okay. And sometimes I've just got to admit and go, look, hey, I can't remember what we said there. I talk a lot. Yeah, that's the best. Like I, mm. I get that. I get that, and people are like, they'll say an inside joke that I don't. I don't. Know, what are you talking about? Oh, you don't remember <laughs> when you said this? I'm like, I don't remember. I'll do the podcast and I'll forget everything I said. I don't remember yeah. anything I said. Yeah. But it is it is amazing, and I was at uh, Maker Camp a couple of weeks ago, and I had a lot of people who were listening to Knife Talk, they listened to this podcast, and they were explaining how much it means to them for you know being alone and being with someone, listening to somebody doing something that you're doing, and there is this. Uh, I, to me, I mean, it feels as almost like this kind of like. I mean, I'm really doing this. It's like I'm doing this because as a favor to the young Jeff who is alone. Like, I know that there are other yeah. guys who are like me, and I speak to them who, you know, mental health is a real issue, and, and, and people's oh, feelings my, yeah. towards f- people's feelings, they don't want to feel like they're isolated and alone. They want to hear people saying the same things that they're going through, and they don't want to feel isolated. And, and this is this kind of stuff, and talking to people, and just kind of having the same kind of interactions and relationships. And they say, you know, I, I've been through that too. So I understand the importance of these things and i take it i take it very seriously like way more seriously than i probably should so yeah so what else is going on kev everything else okay well one of the things that i talked to you about or touched reached out to you about um it's not a great thing it's a double-edged sword as they say at the moment like um Health-wise for me, I've, I've been pretty quiet this year and we've missed podcasts and stuff like that. And, you know, if people have 
touched on it. Are you okay? And similar to that mental health thing that you were just saying, mate, um, I, I experienced the lowest of the low last year. It was a combination of um, 30 years of living with um, chronic pain, which is something that not a lot of people are aware of. Um, when I was really young, I, I was involved in a, in a part-time job outside of my school hours, and it was really, really physically demanding. Like it was, it was a challenge every time I went there. Um, and in the course of doing that job, um, I broke my back. So I was 19, broke my back. And what kind of job was it? It was, um, just, I was working at, um, effectively what you guys have, the casinos. Okay. And we're clearing out the slot machines. But yeah, poker machines, the one-armed bandits, the, the gambling okay. machines. So we were taking out coins from the base of those, dumping it into a massive hopper of coins and then pushing that around and then bagging a whole lot of things in there. In the, I had to go to court over it to get my medical costs covered by the employer at the time because um, I had surgery on my back then. Um, and I had an oh and uh, person on board and they said each shift Per person, we were lifting the equivalent of three ton of material each, and that was over a two and a half hour period. So it was condensed into like just get there. And mate, when I was eighteen, you could probably imagine when I was eighteen, I I wasn't small fry. I was no. a big lad. <laughs> I could lift a lot, but it was just the repetitive nature of this stuff. So anyway, that that happened, and I end up with um, yeah chronic pain. I had um, sciatic nerve pain problems because just the way the the injury happened it sort of broke the bone and crushed everything and you know wasn't a pretty wasn't a pretty picture especially as a as a young fella but I got through okay my dark humor um, came out of living that life like living with chronic pain um, I get in trouble because I laugh at things that some people just go that's completely inappropriate but I'm seeing a, a darker side to humor than most people right. do right um, so, you know, I've lived with that and it's just been an on and off situation, but always a base level of, of pain and stuff going through there and um, never really sought the, the proper level of um, help through that process, particularly with regards to how the mindset was with it. And, you know, I, I landed on my feet with a, with a couple of my job, op, uh, job sort of roles, uh, got employment, I was, I was doing, once I hurt my back, I, you know, I was not quite unemployable, but very close to it. So I had to, you know, drop the um, guard a fair bit and just go and work whatever I worked. But <clears throat> I worked in the hospitality industry, the food industry, hotel industry for a few years and managed to get by. Um, and then luckily for me, I landed a, a role in the government, which they have a lot more securities for people with injuries and and a lot less discrimination is allowed, although it was still there, it technically wasn't allowed. So I managed to get a career in it. Um, and I had, um, you know, on average two or three times a year, my back would, as I say, you know, give way or, or change and it'd become incredibly painful. Um, and I just, you know, I just stop and, and deal with it. But over the last probably leading into about the time of the pandemic pandemic stages and the lockdowns here, as you 
guys are pretty aware, very severe and everything closed down. So my regular routine was going to a gym, doing enough exercise to keep the body strong enough. Like when I saw you guys at Blade Show for those first couple of years, I, I have to say I was probably for my age, I was at peak fitness, especially for my abilities. Um, a lot of that's changed right now. Like I'm a, a shadow of myself. I've lost, um, particularly in the last three or so months, I've lost the equivalent of about 30 pounds. Wow. A bit more maybe. So waistline and everything's shrinking, which is which is good because, um, yeah, the end of last year I was saying I, I, I hit the all-time low. And when I say that, uh, I literally mean you cannot get any lower. I, I This is the first time this is going out public. Um, there's some people that know, but um, to make sure people sort of look out a little bit more and know that this stuff can happen to, to people that are even at the front of this stuff, um, I, I ended up deciding that I didn't want to live with the pain any longer. Um, and I attempted suicide. So I... I got together a massive dose of um, opioid painkillers and came to a point where I, I locked myself in my workshop, had a good, long, hard think about things. And strange as it sounds, I, I was at peace with the idea and um, I, I took a yeah massive, massive overdose and it was my wife that had called the, the police and the ambulance and they came and... Um, rescued me, I guess they saved me. Um, and I went through start of this year was really, really, really hard and dark time for me. So people that know me, um, you know, they know my character and, um, love for life and all that sort of stuff. But I just, after 30 years of this thing chewing at me, I just really couldn't take it anymore. And I saw, <clears throat> it was a very hard thing. Um, like coming out of it, I've still got a lot of repair work to do between myself and my family. Um, we're on that road to recovery, which is nice. But I've got to, it's a funny thing, sometimes you've got to get in the system to know that the system exists. And particularly with that, it was the services around um, the mental health side of things for people that were suicidal or had, um, you know, attempted suicide. And I wouldn't have known these things existed had I not gone down that track and although I was technically saved by the the police and the ambulance when they came um, it was having the doors open to me through our health services to know that there were these things out there that really turned my life around um, <clears throat> so I was in hospital for in intensive care for for quite a few days um, until they made sure that all the effects of the drugs had worn off and that I was okay. Um, I, you know, in inverted commas, um, volunteered myself to be admitted into um, a mental health facility, which um, I, for one, would never wish that experience on anyone else. Um, I, would, I would encourage people to get help well before you're going to need that. Uh, it, it it was like being in one of those movies where you have the, the asylum sort of situation. Yeah. It wasn't far removed from that. And I felt really, um, I was really confronted by that part of 
that process as well. So there were some people out there with some serious need of help that were inside that facility at the same time as me. And I'm sitting there just going, hey, but I'm okay. I just tried suicide. I'm all right. <laughs> I'm not like these people. Um, but obviously where my, my thoughts were um, for my own safety, uh, I had to be in that situation. So not a good thing. Uh, um, Jeff, we've got um, facilities here called Lifeline and Beyond Blue um, for people to talk to. Um, there's a number of a growing number of these, unfortunately, um, in some regards, unfortunately, but fortunately, we've got a growing number of these. So if this yeah. part of the conversation we're having now um, to any of the listeners does strike a chord with anyone or, or, you know, makes you start to think, you know, bad things, talk to someone, talk to a friend, confident, or one of these anonymous services. So please, please do that. Um I, I didn't at the time and, you know, I, I absolutely class myself as as being incredibly lucky to still be here today. Um, I had a bit of a, a bit of an awakening at the start of the, at, at, through that recovery process. I spent a couple of weeks at a living facility where I got the most awesome people, beautiful people helped me um, and I dropped my mask. I dropped that public face that you think you need, you know, all smiles. Yeah. Oh, but he seemed like the happiest guy. We've seen it with celebrities and every everyone else that suddenly has that shock that this sort of thing's happened. You go, but they seem like the happiest person going. There's a there's a perception that we, you know, public doesn't really want to see people in a down state. So we become very good at putting on a, a, a mask that presents to people that we're all good. Um, and it's, it's, it's a coping mechanism and it's a survival strategy that we put in place. <clears throat> it's not necessarily a good thing. So when I lived in this um, facility for two weeks, um, I dropped that guard completely and and really took a step back and said, I need this. If, if I continue to mask how I feel and, and the help that I need, then I'm not going to get that and I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to be no better than I was when I came in, which... which at that point in time, could have been, uh, you know, a really, really negative thing. So I met these beautiful people and, and the services they provided, and I got put onto some uh, what they refer to as outreach programs. So I had people stay in touch with me following um, when I left the place. Uh, I got enough of an idea of coping strategies and mechanisms and why my brain was thinking the way it was after being programmed for 30-odd years um, so I had more of an understanding about why I had gotten to the place where I'd gotten to and why I had attempted um, the suicide in the first place. And it, like I said, had a, it's a strange thing, I had a spiritual awakening. And, I, and I'm not talking in a sense of, um, in a religious sense, so to say, but I had a spiritual awakening in terms of um, the values that I had to really focus on and the things that I would hold um, more importance to in the day to day um, than than I may have done in the past, and you know it's been a bit of a, a few people in Australia and a couple of people overseas understood where I was, um, and I've I've just kept it to myself. But I, I thought, I guess using a platform like yours, some people might find, oh, you know, look, this guy's maybe just taking advantage of putting this out there. Um, other guys or people might go, but hey, you didn't say anything to me and I apologise 
to those people um, that I didn't say this depth to because it was a protection thing as well because, you know, I didn't want them feeling bad things necessarily. It's a strange way of looking at it. But that um, spiritual growth that I've gone through, mate, it's... I look at the world as a, as a different thing now because I, uh, I might not have been here. Uh, honestly, I might not have been here. I, I took enough to down a, a, a big elephant. Uh, I, I really did. There, there was no um, ifs. It was, it was a definite when I took the amount of medication that I did. Um, I was 100% that I didn't want to be here. And now, funnily enough, it's an absolute flip side of that. I 100% want to be here. I've got a life to live. I've got amazing relationships, like I've got, you know, friendships with yourself and others. Um, and, yeah, it's just, the, you know, the amazing things that the world puts out every single day. And I, I look at it now in a completely different light and, and yeah, just marvel at it. And something that's happened with that is as I've accepted where I've been and understand that side of, um, you know, gratitude is probably the biggest thing now that I look at and being grateful for every single day and being grateful for the smallest things that a lot of people might pass in their day and I see these small things now and and they resonate with me. But there's been an alignment of things occurring. Uh, One of my very good friends who wasn't aware of my situation until just recently gave me a book based on... um, It was for meditation, so... I took that book and I I went through these meditation processes and I had some fairly um, profound experiences which I didn't understand were profound experiences until I talked to people that may have been meditating for such a long period of time and had never had the things that I experienced in that process occur. And that's where I think that the universe, to a degree, is working on my side rather than against me because I've met some amazing people that... I do believe have to be in my life at the moment or that will be in my life from now on. Um, And opportunities for things have occurred, which, and the way they've occurred is just kind of mind-blowing. But one of the biggest things at the moment is a technology I've been sort of waiting on or was waiting on um, was with regards to surgical intervention and and how, how can I you know, get get help from this situation because physically, um, you know, in the last 18 months in particular, it's just, it's been rotten. I haven't, I haven't taught a class um, since late last year, which, you know, that passion, um, I haven't been able to fulfil that. Um, And I've hardly worked a full day in my workshop, which most people don't understand because I was a machine. Like when I was, you'd see it as well, when I was working in my workshop, I was a machine, man. Like, I could pump out. In a good day in my workshop, I'd be just smashing things out. And now I'm up there sort of trying to refine or change the way I do things and not have that because my body just can't cope with a full day in my workshop. Anyway, long story going through is I've uh, managed to get into see one of the best surgeons arguably in the world um, who has helped develop the technology for disc replacement surgery and he travels the globe teaching other surgeons uh, what to do and I've, I've met this guy and had a had a consultation with him and he 100% believes he can stabilise the back 
and drop the pain down so it's background noise. Now, Jeff, I don't know about you, mate, but when you're 49 and you've had a physical life, you know, making, doing, playing, um, background noise is just, it's an everyday. Like, I have parts of my body that hurt every day at, at that one or two level, and that's that's just normal. That's getting old, older, right. not old. Um, but to be told that that's, like, that this surgeon was not lying. He was 100% confident that he can alleviate that uncertainty for a start and then that degree of pain which sits around the five or six mark at points in my day most days um and that's with some still got some drugs in the system for it he reckons he can drop that down to yeah one or a two on the pain scale and that's that's normal so um that that to me is like a pretty amazing sort of possibility so i've undertaken all the scans i've done i've done everything and um Poor bugger had to go on leave. Even these highfalutin, uh, world-class surgeons need a break. So I think he's still on leave, but I'm anxiously awaiting a phone call from him or his surgeon uh, surgery to say, you know, here's the date, let's go in and do it. Um, now, one of the other things I, I talked to you about and I still feel a little bit hesitant about asking is, and it's a funny thing, is I feel hesitant about asking for help. And when we know as a community, um, we are we are we look after our own. We look after people, and it's a funny thing for me to be hesitant about asking for help, because I've helped many people with many situations myself, even when I haven't been in a a, a great situation to do so. But I'm starting up a um, a thing. It's sort of like a GoFundMe. Uh, it's called a My Cause, um, and I'm starting up one of those just because the expense that's um, related to this surgery is, is, is pretty monumental. Um, and I haven't, like I said, I haven't really been working. I've covering, covering bills just, my wife is retired, which is nice because we have a steady income there, but, um, I'm going to set up a, a thing called a my cause, um, and reach out to the community. Um, and, I, and I'm going to ask for some help because I've learned particularly with everything that's gone on with my life this year, um, you, you need to push your pride to to the side, and, and if you need help, you need to ask for it. Well, whenever you put it up, let me know. I mean, if you can get it together, and I'll have it in the show notes uh, sure. of this podcast and the future ones. Yeah, sure. I, I have you. to say, I have to say, number one is I'm glad you're here. Thank I'm you. glad. I'm glad that you're with us. I'm glad that you're my friend. I'm fortunate. I'm very grateful for the fact that you are on this planet. And and I know that there are a lot of other knife makers and other people who are very, very happy that you're here. And that's the number one thing is, and I do, you know, look, I mean, it's, it's a, it was, is a terrible story to hear, but it's not that uncommon. You know, I think that, and and that's the scary part. And we were talking before about people who, identify i've had a few people who i've talked to uh, you know people have reached out and they've been on the they've been on the on the real on the brink and i've had conversations with people and this is i i give you a lot of credit and bravery for telling the story it's not easy to hear it's not easy for you to speak for to tell but at the same time it's like it's so 
I mean, I'm just, I'm sure there's so many people who I can identify with what you're going through. Not exactly, but you know what I'm saying. Oh, look, mate, there's elements of my story and my situation that, that will really call out to people. And that's right. what I'm saying. If, if it call, if, if it touches on people and they have a negative emotion come from this, please, please, please talk to someone. Right. Find, find a um, good friend that you, you know you can trust and talk to and talk to them and be serious with them. Tell them, seriously, I need you to listen because the, it's right. easy. It's the easiest thing for someone in the situation I was in to do. And when I say easy, it's a very loose, loose way of saying it because technically it's not easy, but the easiest thing to do is cover it, hide it. And you do that to protect others, but you're not protecting others from what might ultimately um, occur. And like I said, for me, mate, it, it it was a time in my life that you know now I have to live with what I what I did, um, uh, the consequences of that in terms of some family and and close relationships. Um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done now on my part um, to to bring those relationships back together, uh, and that that really does that's that's one of the parts that drives me now, um, but also I guess to be a bit of an advocate for this sort of thing. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the place that I had the opportunity to be in, I've been back there and um, and talked to them about, um, you know, can I come back officially or unofficially and and just let people know that what you're doing here in this otherwise unknown um, thing is, is, in my regard, life-saving. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's got unimaginable positive sort of flow on from it and... Like I said, man, I, unfortunately, I had to be in the system to find out about the system and what's in there. And all these different paths and avenues now have opened up. And <clears throat> it's it's amazing what's out there, services that are out there that you would otherwise not hear about. And I'd rather be able to say to people, talk to a friend, ask someone for help, Get that friend to join in with you and, and, and seek something. If they're a trustworthy friend, get them in there to come with you as well. Like if you need to go and talk to someone, have them, have them on your side. Come, get them to come in because I, I went through everything on my own um, and it's it can be a very, very lonely place to be. But listen, as I said, Jeff, one of the biggest things that I've, I've now come to understand is um, is gratitude and gratitude for the smallest things that occur in my day every day gratitude towards friends everywhere, including his, like, the likes of yourself, um, and also gratitude to myself about the work that I've put in in the last nine months or so, ten months. Um, it hasn't been an easy run. Like I've, yeah. I've had some serious highs and lows in that, and, and I've, I'm now on less of a roller coaster ride, but I'm more equipped now in those times where things get low to sit back and have a, have a really good view on what's going on rather than it be a, a cataclysmic event. I can sit back now and go, okay, let's sit, let's sit back here and review what's going on and let's put into place the tools that these, these groups and these people provided me. And how does the situation look when I take off, you know, those, those, glasses that just show the world as being a horrible black place how does it look when i take a different view at this and a lot of the times things aren't actually as bad as you might think and and there's services or things that you can do um 
to to lighten that load. It's depression sneaks in, and at the at the at times where you don't even realize it's sleep, it sneaks in, and yep. and it's real. It's it's it, we've we learn how to work out, we learn how to lift weights, we learn how to take care of our bodies, but we don't know how to take care of our minds. And there are people out there who can help you. And I'm going to link in the show notes. I'm going to link a few numbers to uh, people who can help. Um, in you know various countries and stuff like this you know so yeah Thank i you. look i appreciate you dude i appreciate you being so candid i appreciate your i appreciate the, how hard it was the struggle that you had and how you've kind of kind of you're how you're coming through like like really just quite um you're quite a specimen kev you're you're quite a <laughs> specimen <laughs> you're like you're the fucking dude and 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 i'm like i said i said it before and I, you know i'm just glad you're here and and yeah, thanks and um and i know that there are a lot of other people who are glad you're here and and the fact that you're kind of giving back is is it's brave it's admirable it's it's like i it sounds like you have a new lease on life and we're gonna get you squared away ah, 100%. with this whole back yeah we're gonna get you squared away with this back thing so yeah you gotta put this put this gofundme together so we can kind of link it up and then we'll yeah thanks mate i will we'll... i will do that and, uh, and like i said i really appreciate it and um, yeah, look the knife making community um we've talked about it already in the lead up today through our thing it's it's a really unique group of people uh, and it, it's funny, you know, we're, we're driven by this tool, this, this object, but hey, what, I could think of worse things to be driven by. Of course. <laughs> and you know what's so great about this community? Now we're going to fucking squeeze them. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to squeeze you, yeah. sons of bitches. Yeah, Kev's been the same. Yeah. I mean, now you, all you guys listening, you know <clears throat> Kev, you're gonna, we're going to squeeze you. When he, when he says he needs something from you, you're going to help him. Yeah, look, you know, and I'm being pretty humble. Like, the target I'm putting on this thing is not uh, – I look at it and I go, wow, you know, like, it's a massive amount. But I talked to another friend recently, and he said it's, it's not a lot. He goes, right. you think about the knife-making community? Because I talked to him about, should I put this thing out there? And he was like, do it, and I'm going to support you. Yeah, of course. Because he, he understands I've supported other people in other, uh, you know, other times when people have had hard times or and whatever. So he said, just do it. And it's like, okay. And, and that's, again, part of that, taking the pride away from the equation, take a step back and ask, ask for help. Kev, you know, we're going to squeeze these the hardest things. We're, well, we're I'm, not squeeze, asking, we're, I'm not we're asking squeeze to squeeze. They're not going to be squeezed like juice. That's how these people know. That's how these people are. Please listen to me. Look, the people of this podcast, when they listen to me, they want to. They know that, that what we're going to do, we're going to give them a squeeze. Yeah. You know, we're going to give them a squeeze. So, and I have to say, like, come on, man. Whatever, whatever. Look, you know, whether it's a thought, a prayer, whatever, thank you. Prior to whatever happens, thank you. All yeah, cold hard and, cash and, too, right, Kev? We want to yeah. squeeze these fucking people. We've got to I mean, prayers <laughs> are great, no? But I mean, we need to give them. A, we yeah. need a couple coins in there. Yeah. You know, get a couple and coins. It's gonna go to, and it's going to go to, and it's going to go to, like the medical costs. Even what I get, if I get, because I'm, I'm, you know, uh, pre-damaged goods. If my health insurance cover some of the costs, um, I'm going to be stoked. But I'm not a hundred percent certain I'm going to win that battle with them. I'll, I'll get some relief from them, some relief from the government, but it's, it's, I have to say already, it's fucking expensive right. um, to, to go through this process. And it's going to be not just the physical side of getting that surgery done. It's going to be a little bit of the, 
well, a lot of the recovery. It's not right. even going to be a little bit or a lot of. It's going to be the recovery process afterwards, um, and just taking some of that mindset off. Like, you know, I've been going through my gear, uh, looking at what I can sell, what I can get rid of, what I can do without, to t- chuck extra funds into the bank. So I go, okay, I've got a nest egg there now to cover this, um, and I don't have a lot more that technically I could get rid of without having to really bust my ass afterwards well, to get back. Let's get this thing up and running, and we'll see. Yeah. And I'll work to help you. I'll work to help awesome, you. Man. We'll get you. Squared I really, away. really like. You know, Dude, I really. You're my guy. It. I've known you yeah. forever. And everyone out there you know, in the world, um, thank you. I really, really appreciate you guys too. I really do. And I'm not even saying that. Like I'm saying that from the depths of my heart, man. I appreciate everyone, and, I, and well, I, all the people that I've met through Blade and and knowing Australia and over the globe. You know, I, I absolutely love you, people. I really do. Yeah, and we're from the depths of your heart to the depths of their pockets. We're gonna fucking squeeze them. <laughs> we need, we need, this this thing ain't cheap, ladies and germs. We need we need your it's money, not, man. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> I'm gonna do it like a, a televangelist. So I'm gonna be like an old televangelist. We're gonna do a whole show, and I'm gonna be, oh, we need to get that money for Kim Slattery's back, ladies and germs. Oh, I can picture you on stage. Don't oh, worry. <laughs> I would be my. I would be like, oh, yeah. it'd be so great. We're gonna we're gonna take care of you, Kev Slattery, guys listen to me yeah i mean man. you can't get better than kev slattery and we're and, all glad he's here we're all we gotta glad we gotta here. wind we gotta wind this up because i gotta get my ass changed yeah no i'm winding it up right now yeah i'm winding it up right now guys kev slattery is the man it's at kevin slattery underscore custom knives on instagram kev is the fucking he if you've met kev you know how great of a guy he is go follow kev Go send him a high five. Go t- reach out to him and say how much you appreciate it because we're here for you too. We're all here together, guys. And and listen in the show notes. I'm going to have some numbers and some telephone numbers for you call if you're in a position where you're just like, maybe I can use a phone call or something like that. I'm going to put them in the show notes. So go take advantage awesome. of the opportunities that are out there. I want every, you're listening to this podcast. I appreciate you being here. I want you here because... Let's face it. If you're not here, my numbers go down, right? <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, let's face it. I mean, if you're not here, that doesn't look good for me. I'm just kidding, obviously. That's the way it is. I kind of make a joke sometime. But seriously, I'm going to put some numbers in the, in, the, uh, in the show notes. I want you all, if you're in a position where you need some help, go speak to a real professional. Don't go calling, don't go calling you know, <laughs> Gary V and hoping he's going to help you. He ain't gonna, he do nothing. <laughs> Gary V ain't going to help you, man. Well, I'm going to have some real professionals on the, on the uh, with numbers to call. And just know this. We care about you. And, Kev, we, I care about you so much. And, go, guys, you. listen to... Go follow Kev Slattery, Kevin Kevin Slattery underscore custom knives. Go listen to the um, knife talk down under, <laughs> knife making down under, and tell him you want to go send messages to Mert and, and Corn. Tell him you want them to go again. We need them in the show. We need their show. We need, Give us that boost. We'll get back we on that. We need them. The you area. have to let them know. You have to let them know. We need them in our lives. We appreciate you, and we appreciate everything. Kev, I really, really, really appreciate your candidness. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate not you, your bravery of telling me something, telling us something that wasn't easy to tell. So, so I, it means a lot to me, and um, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not more to say than I'm just glad you're here. Thank you. Uh, I had nothing other to say than thank you. I really, really, really mean it. Thank you. All right, guys, listen. You know what to do when I, when I, when I say the word. 
<laughs> shell out, okay? <laughs> shell out. All right, <laughs> guys, this was an emotional episode. I'm sorry if if somebody got upset about it. I'm listen. This is these are these are the this is a real guy who's saying real things, and we appreciate him here. I appreciate you here, and we're gonna see you next week, okay, ladies and germs. Kev, thank you once again. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey!